Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as the Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams, where Nat and Sarah honed in on their three-step process, purposefully translating the esoteric into the tangible. Nat Cook gained her experience as a five-time Olympian in the sport of beach volleyball and reached the pinnacle by winning gold on her home beach of Bondi in 2000. Using the law of attraction before she had a name for it, one of her manifestations was meeting a fellow Canadian beach volleyball player, Sarah Maxwell, in 2001. Falling in love, they trained and competed against one another in Australia for years before marrying in 2008 and creating their biggest joy, their beloved four-year-old daughter, Jordan. Manifesting their dream of living in Europe, they have recently returned from their Swiss adventures as the full-time family where this podcast was birthed. During the unprecedented COVID-19 lockdown, the podcast has been cleansed with a fresh new colour, design and even a new name, which means Nat has been booted off the show, of course. No, I'm just kidding. She will still be featured. But the time had come to raise the game and bring you even more uplifting conversations from entrepreneurs making their mark on the world, parents who are demonstrating what's possible, doctors, therapists and experts with a contribution to make legendary athletes who have been living out loud for years. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. continue the conversation with former senior director of Xbox Games Marketplace and Microsoft Online. Catherine Foster is a powerhouse who has humbly moved her family out of Seattle and onto the beautiful shores of the Sunshine Coast, where she currently heads up Macro Data Digital Solutions, which aims to host an eco-friendly data center in Queensland and create a tech hub in Maroochydore. I shall not pretend on any stretch of the imagination to comprehend what Catherine really does. And so today we're gonna really feature her on our show as a woman, a mother, a brilliant mind who continues to challenge the status quo and bring new ideas and intelligence to our ecosystem. I hope she can help bridge the gap for us laymen so that we too can support technological advancements within our community, our own businesses, and even our families. So I've warned Catherine that she may need to dumb it down for me today, but what I know for sure is that she's a human being first and that as a woman, a mother, a business person, she has dreams and aspirations for her life too. And so we aren't all robots yet, so we definitely all speak that language. So Catherine's family, they are in quarantine and isolation like the rest of us, so they are in the pool, they're playing, and Catherine, that's what we expect nowadays. So Thank you for being on the show. I know it's the end of the day for you, so I really appreciate the last bandwidth that you've got being spent with us. 
Well, one, you used the term bandwidth appropriately. So kudos to you, Sarah. And two, thank you for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here today. <laughs> I heard Nat say that. So that made me, Nat's, Nat's using it far too much. But in speaking about Nat, she saw you speaking on a stage and quite recently, actually, and she instantly wanted to have you featured on the show. So I'd love it if you could give us a little background on how little girl Catherine rose to such influential heights in the tech world. So what were your beginnings? What were my beginnings? I was born in um, a very small town in Wyoming. The name of it was Basin. And as all basins are, they're at the bottom of the valley or sink or wherever. But um, yeah, small little town. It was a, a mining town where I believe the cattle outranked the people by about a hundred per. So uh, very rural and remote. Luckily, my mom saw the light very early. And when I was six months old, we moved to San Diego, California. And uh, my uh, parents were a bit of nomads. So I had the opportunity of living in Southern California, in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area. And then when I was 10, my mom decided that uh, we needed to get a sheep farm. So we moved to Southern Oregon. So I went from being a, you know, a, a cosmopolitan uh, learner in California where your mind's expanded and you're expected to, to really kind of think out of the box to, to Southern Oregon, which is, is very conservative and agricultural and um, probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Having to, to, to raise livestock and, and live on a farm teaches you a, a view of life that I think you, you just don't appreciate or understand if you don't have. Okay, so the real question is this idyllic background, just imagining you, whether it's Wyoming or sheep, you know, animals all around you, would your parents have had an inkling that you would be doing what you're doing today and have done what you've done in terms of the technology space? Um, when I've asked my mom the, the question of whether she thought that I would have gone into computers, um, she, she probably would, said she wouldn't have guessed that. However, when I was 13, I wrote my first program. My dad had just bought this Texas Instrument computer with a um, magnetic strip backup, which is, you know, cassette tapes that we used to listen to music on. And uh, I wrote a general ledger program. So keeping track of all of the expenses and, and revenue coming in from the, the sale of, of the sheep. And that was so well received by my parents that they then asked me to write a program to uh, enable keeping track of all of the livestock we had and because they were registered uh, Suffolk sheep, the registration numbers, who their their parents were, um, and then we would print out on a dot matrix printer, basically the family tree whenever we sold any of the, the registered sheep. So I, I definitely, and I was a member of the um, coding club in uh, junior high. Of course. And of course I was, I, and yes, I was the only girl. And, um, so, so if one were to, to have just kind of taken a look, yeah, you probably could have imagined me ending up where I did. You make me think about, it's funny that you worked with Microsoft because Bill Gates has a similar story about, you know, organizing, I think it was like the school or something like that, like the scheduling for school and how complex it was and how he thought he could take it on. And so you were doing the shape, he was doing um, school. <laughs> And that's about right. <laughs> it's yeah. super complex with lots of people. Mind, you know, a few hundred sheep. Yep, that's about right. You know what? I've been to New Zealand. I've tried to herd sheep. 
it's a bit complex. I'm not going to lie. So hats off to you. Um, okay, wait, you mentioned this. You brought this up about being the only girl. So was it evident to you that girls weren't coding that much or that was just sort of like, oh, yeah, what, you know, there was no, that was just what it was. No, um, it, it didn't occur to me. In, in retrospect, it had, but um, I was just interested in it. Um, what I, I found that the people that were coding at the time were, were pretty competitive, that they all wanted to do the best. Um, and, you know, I'm of, of a competitive nature. I was willing to, to play along. So, I, it, but no, I, I didn't actually really notice the, the, the gender bias until I, I went to work um, after graduating from uni. So I, I think it's really interesting how Nat and I come from a sporting background. That's how we lived out our competitiveness. And yet you're telling me that in the coding realm, things were competitive. So what had, to, to be honest, that was just like, I don't even know that I was exposed. Like I had nothing. I didn't even know it was a possibility. So what, was it your parents that brought it into your life? Was it accidental? How did this even happen? Yeah, so my, my parents, the, the farm was, was a, a side project, if you will. So both of my parents worked. My dad was a family physician and my mom a registered nurse. And so um, my dad um, probably was, was very interested in electronics, especially since his bro brother was a programmer for HP. So uh, I think that that's how we probably saw it at home. School, we just randomly were uh, given an RCA mainframe computer. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't random for the people who coordinated it, but as a eighth grader, it was very random. Um, it just showed up. And so, you know, these notions of punch cards and putting holes in certain places and having the computer do certain things and uh, was, was super intriguing. And everyone was offered the ability to go and play with it. But I suppose those that had a little bit of aptitude for it were the ones that kept, kept going. So what do you reckon makes you great at what you do? I don't give up. Mm, love that. So it could be about anything. Uh, it, it is about anything. We, we, I was in plenty of conversations at Microsoft around how to hire the best talent and do apologize for the background noise. I think that your kids don't give up either. Let's like, we're cool because if my daughter was going for it right now, I just have grandma helping. So don't apologize. We get it. It makes you cooler. Please. Well, they're, my, playing fish, they're playing fish out of water, right? And the 12 year old, I think just got caught. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very dramatic and he's not giving up. So you've given them some of your, your skills. Okay. Yeah. So that is how you are. So does, does that have anything to do with you coming? I'm going to circle back around for a sec, but does that have anything to do with you making the trip from Seattle to Australia to the Sunshine Coast? Ah, the, the, the trip around the world was following my heart and appreciating that what's important in life isn't necessarily the title or the amount of P&L responsibility you have or the, the number of people that report to you or even the, the, the problems at work that you solve. It's, it, it, it's about those people that you love and who you're close with. And I had, uh, when I moved to Australia, I was in, engaged and, um, I had two beautiful children from my first marriage and um, wanted to spend more time with them. So moving to Australia was an opportunity to, to walk away from, you know, more than a full-time job at Microsoft. And uh, I, when I first got here, I, I did non-executive board work. So on boards of listed and unlisted companies, which I'm still doing. And 
gave, gave me a lot more flexibility to spend time with my kids and attend swim meets and go to debating events and, you know, chapel and, you know, all those, th those types of things that, that uh, pa parents usually don't, if you're working out, have the time to do. So how do you like rotate those environments? Like how do you move from what I imagine was so fast paced to chapel to, well, this one meets pretty fast paced, but what's that like? Do you have these kind of like out of, I don't even know the word for that, like zoned out moments where you think, am I two people? Like, how do you do that? Um, I, Early in, in, in my career, I had to realize that, that the number of hours I worked didn't define the quality of my work and didn't dictate whether I was going to be um, successful at a project. Um, I learned that I needed to be really clear on what the results were that I wanted to achieve, what success looked like at exit, and what I needed to do to structure and organize it to make it happen. Surround myself with people that were better than I was, and, but were also bought into the same mission. And, and that's how I was able to, and as a team, deliver some, some great results. So my, my, I, you know, my skill really became about leadership and getting people motivated and, and, and moving in the, in the same direction. Um, I think that I applied that same concept to, the, to all domains of my life. You know, you've got your professional domain and you might have, you know, inside that, I've got the discourse of, of computer science and business. But I'm also a mom and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a sister and I'm a daughter and I'm a friend and, you know, I'm a, a partner or a, a spouse. And so I think that in all of that, I've been really clear about what does success look like? What do I want? What, what do I want to look like in that domain? And so when I look at the, you know, the, the domain of family, I want happy, healthy family members. I want all of us to feel like we're contributing. We understand what our role as a family is, that we're supporting each other, that we're not negative or taking away from each other, that, that we're, we're doing this as a, as a unit with a, a set of shared goals and norms and principles and, and you know, a certain way of thinking. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that's how it always works, but that's the goal. And so um, I, I don't, I, I loved being at the swim meets or the debate debating events because that meant that I was supporting them doing something they either had to do or they wanted to do and um, they were giving it their best whether they came in first or they didn't place it didn't matter the idea was that they were they were giving it their best shot and you know that's kind of all I can ask for from from my family it's all I can ask for for myself and so no I, I don't I don't have that I that the, the out-of-body experience for me happens when you're talking to other parents and, and all of a sudden it, it shifts from that, that focus on family and what's important. And all of a sudden it, it, it starts talking about the, you know, I call it keeping up with the Joneses, you know, who's driving what car and, you know, who, who did best at last blah. And it's like, okay, you know, I mean, that, that I'm not motivated by that. I'm, I'm motivated by the best results. I'm not motivated by what that means in a, in a ranking or a, I think that's an unhealthy way of, of focusing on it. Okay. That's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because having lived overseas for a year, one thing I experienced was where I feel purposeful. And so if you were to just parent, hmm. could you feel purposeful and what does doing what you do, let's say with Macrodata Digital Solutions, I know you have other things on the go as well. You're, I can, your mind's just like, seems to be birthing ideas all the time. Would you be purposeful if you 
did not have that, some of the technological things that you bring to light. Yeah, no. Um, I, I was speaking at an event and, and this kind of rolled off the tip of my tongue and it's kind of been a phrase that I've adopted. Um, when I don't have challenges, productive challenges, something you know to really go out and kind of wrap my head around and, and, and focus on, it doesn't have to be technical, but it, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoy that business and challenge. I'm, I'm a bit of a, of, of a border collie without a herd of sheep. You know, I, I just go a little bit neurotic and crazy and um, try, try to, to, to come up with things to keep myself busy. And there, there, there were very few moments in my life when I wasn't working, one of which was after I moved here, got married, got pregnant with my third child and agreed that a, with my husband that I wouldn't work um, while you know, at the end of my pregnancy and for the first six months after our son was born. And um, I, about two months into it, was just like a little bit of a, of a, of a crisis of, of I, I missed those conversations. I missed um, ha having a need to understand what's happening in the marketplace and the industry and, and watching the moving parts and how they might relate to each other and looking for opportunities. And, and it was, that was a real challenge for me. Um, unfortunately, my husband became very ill after our son was born. And so it, it took me longer, you know, a little, little longer than that six months. And, and yeah, it was, it was hard even having a, you know, a, a major medical a health issue. Um, I, I guess what I was able to do is, is take his treatment and, and kind of throw my heart and soul into making sure we got the best outcomes and the best results for it. But yeah, it's, it was, I, I don't do well if I don't have a challenge. Yeah, got it. Well, you've got plenty right now, so that's good. Isn't yeah. that the world is just, hmm. here we go. So I am, I am curious, even though I don't understand it fully. So with macro data, I'm so um, I still want to shorten it, but anyway, I'll say it all. Macro data, digital solutions. Oh, we just call it macro data. Thank you. Okay. Didn't want to do the wrong thing there, but bringing this data center to the Sunshine Coast. So, you know, I, I heard you speaking about this with somebody else in an interview and I was trying to comprehend, you were talking about something about like under the sea, there's like channels happening explain what is happening i kind of got excited for the region and i wanted to understand more so what's going on all right so um one of the the the, the, the most interesting pieces that's happening around data centers in southeast queensland is there's something called a wet cable and all that is is a, it's a fiber cable with lots of capacity that connects to different cities and so it connects from la to hong kong singapore Sydney and Richidor. So it now gives, yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you do. That's right. So it now gives um, Richidor and the Sunshine Coast and, and Brisbane as well because the distance is short. It gives the, this region the same speed and throughput of the internet that major cities have historically um, had. So all the major cities of the world were the first ones to be what, to be on what's called the, the, the internet backbone. And it's called the backbone because it's, it, it's the thickest part of the, the internet. So the most capacity can go through. If you were thinking of it as a, as a motorway, this would be like a six lane motorway in each direction. There's so much capacity to, to push traffic through. 
And is it, is it a physical cable? The white cable? It's a physical cable. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's not massive. It's probably the size of a beefy's pie and um, with a, with a protective layering on the outside of that. Hmm. And uh, it, it has lots of capacity to, to push data back and forth. Wow. Okay. So, so what data is, is when, if you have a smartphone, every time you send a text or take a phone call, that's data. It's a, it's a type of data. Um, every time you open Facebook or social media or do a Zoom call, this is data. This call that we're doing here um, with video conferencing goes through a data center. Yeah, got it. So that's why data centers are important because they're the, they're the part to your computer, internet experience, smart device, smart app, smart speaker that, that is actually allowing it to happen. Our devices are very small. They don't have the ability to do a lot of processing on them. So we expect servers that live in data centers to do all the heavy lifting, and then they just send us the results. That's what makes them faster. It, what, it's what makes me be able to see you at Clarity, where if you and I had, had a wire between our houses and we're doing this call, the amount of, of throughput that would, would be needed would be massive, but because of the servers and the data centers with algorithms and logic, they, they make this a very enjoyable experience and it's a, using a lot less resources, a lot less money. And so why, if, even if this was gonna come to Queensland, why not Brisbane, why Maruchidor, and what's the impact on that region and in Queensland in general? You see a lot of tech hubs around the world um, getting spun up and they're being spun up because more and more of commerce is happening in the digital realm. Mm -hmm. And so it's inevitable that every medium, small to medium to large city will have, have a, a digital pre preference or presence, right? Um, how those communities grow and, and how they think about being digital, a digital hub is you not, well, you, it used to be unique to each place, but now there are a lot of places that are starting to realize that you want to be a little bit more prescriptive around the community and the society that you're building up around this technology. Um, in, in the circles I run in, a lot of people want the, the, the Sunshine Coast to be a lot like the Silicon Valley. And I'm like, absolutely not. That I, uh, no, thank you. Um, that to me would be a massive failure for the region and the country if we were to allow that to happen. And the reason I say that is you've got a lot of massive tech companies that work there, but think of it as kind of like, you know, a, it's just a, a, a cog in a machine. And so you have people that if they choose to live within 15 to 20 minutes of commuting to where they work, they're probably spending about 70% of their income on housing. That leaves 30% of their income to pay taxes and to live. So travel, investing in nice things in your yard, um, being able to spend time with family, ha having that quality time where you're not worried about constantly being in debt, going out to eat, those things become luxuries because you're spending so much money in, in your residence. Mm. And the reason that it, it, it's gone to that is because these companies are so desirable to work for. Even if you only work for them for a couple of years, you can put it on your CV and then you can get a better job and oftentimes you move away. So it's kind of like doing my time in the Silicon Valley for a couple of years living it rough so that I can go and, and get a better job somewhere else where you look at other communities like Boston or 
you know, like the Denver and Colorado has a, a hand, handful of, of hubs, Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, they've all done it fairly well. Colorado Springs, not as well as Boulder and Denver, but they're saying that quality of life is critical. So we're, we're going to be a tech hub and a tech presence. We don't have to be the biggest companies. We might be the big companies having a small presence here, but it, it is about spending time with family, going and doing things outside. You know, I can ski in the winter and I can go play in the river in the summer and I, I, I can afford to travel because I'm, you know, now only spending about 50% of, of, you know, the amount of money I make on housing. And the Sunshine Coast, if, if we were to allow ourselves to be a, a, a Silicon Valley, then the, the people who've lived here for generations wouldn't be able to afford to live here anymore because the, co that the housing prices would be um, would shoot up because of uh, the the high tech folks that that will have the demand for them, and which is is an issue. You would never want to to price out your community with you know with too many specialized workers, and we have these amazing assets. We've got these beaches and we've got the hinterlands, and and it, it's a very outdoor lifestyle where people want to 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 take care of themselves and they want to. Um, spend time and, and focus in on family and the Australian culture is much more supportive of that than than other cultures around the world are some European cultures are also very supportive of it the, the American culture is much less supportive of, of, of that healthy family balance living balance though so I think in talking to, to my colleagues and, and friends and family over there that's that's changed very quickly with the with the lockdowns and and the, the pandemic but if we're thoughtful about the type of community we, we want to build here, then, then we'll have a lovely community that will support the, you know, the, the traditional Australians who've been living here for a long time, as well as upscaling them and bringing in new talent to create a healthy, robust community. I want a positive community. I want my kids and grandkids to be able to, to stay here. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have to travel to go see my grandkids. Right. And yeah. do you, are you in charge of all of that or are you really responsible for, bringing it here or organizing it? Like what level do you sit in this data center project? Uh, I'd be lucky if I were the butterfly flapping my wings around the world that turns itself into a, a you know, cyclone. But um, I think that I can help influence by speaking out and making sure that people are aware of the fact that it's a choice that we get to choose the type of community and we have the opportunity to be thoughtful. I, that, that's how I see my role. And then living that through the company that I'm building and how I compensate people and how I give back to the community and how I enable local jobs, you know, it might be cheaper to outsource it to Malaysia, but why don't I keep it here on the Sunshine Coast, pay a little bit more and, and create an ecosystem that will ultimately benefit my business as well. If I can create local jobs in, in tech, then that create, creates a, a, a tech, you know, uh, competency that tech competency then continues to grow, which means that I've now, as, as my company grows, I, I now have other people that I can recruit and hire to, to, to come into my company, just as people who are in the company may want to leave, but they stay here, they still have that tech competency to help other companies. So it creates a healthy ecosystem. Yeah, cool. And in terms, you know, we're talking about healthy, what would you say the impact of COVID has been on all this? Is it you know, if I think about Zoom, there's a lot more data happening at the moment. So we, yeah, so what has the impact been? And is it different than what's happening with the economy? Oh, wow. A lot. May, may come across as a simple question, but that's a very complex question. So I'll start by saying that um, 
in the last two, 90% of the data that exists in the world was created in the last two years. And that's oh. been true for the last four years. That, that was a report that um, IBM put out and then refreshed. So the, our, our data consumption and growth is, is exponential, massively exponential. And that it's not gonna stop. It's not gonna stop because of IoT. And it's not gonna stop because after, after the restrictions ease, first, not, it's not gonna just be a switch. It almost was a switch shutting us down but it's not gonna be a, 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 a flip of the switch to turn it on. It's gonna be a slow incremental you know, flow back out in, into you know, more social behavior. But people have learned that they can be productive at home. They learned that it, I, I don't have to get on a, a, flight, a flight out of Merchidor at 6.30 in the morning to fly down to meetings in Sydney to fly back home at 5.30 at night. I don't need to do that anymore. There's no, there, there are very few meetings that I'd need to go down to Sydney for in a day after, after this event. And, I can save my company, you know, about three hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars by not flying down for the day. Mm. So I think th there'll there'll be some some changes there. The the we're also going to have an opportunity because we spent so much time with our family and know we were frustrated and you, you see all these memes and 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 posts uh, about being frustrated and and it's hard. But I think it's hard because we're 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 stuck in our own homes and you know go out very infrequently but once we can go out and we can go to the beach and up into the hinterlands and we can go play like we did before we're going to find that it's more important to be doing those things with the people that we love and the people we care about and so we're going to we're going to see people being more thoughtful about the business interactions and exchanges that they're making and and some of that will be supported if not fueled by the fact that it's going to take the economy a long time to to to, to reset from this. Whether we know it or not, we're, we're in a depression right now. We just haven't recognized it yet because we haven't experienced the, the result of it. The news was saying 10% unemployment. I think that's optimistic. There, the airline companies aren't gonna be able to bring on all those employees quickly. If, if the hints of no, no significant international travel until you know, calendar year 21, that means that you know, Qantas and Virgin and, and you know, the other airlines they're going to have a really hard time um, roll, slowly opening back up those those paths, and and how long will it take to get them to the point where they're you know flying at the capacity that they were? I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not an expert in aviation and and what that commercial view looks like, but if I were to guess, I'd say five to seven years, and and maybe it won't ever fully recover because people may think about how they spend their money on holidays differently. Maybe it's driving across the country or, you know, down, you know, a few hours versus hopping on a plane and going around the world. It, it, I think that we're going to be a lot more thoughtful about how we expose ourselves internationally because of, you know, this isn't the last virus that's going to come through. I hope it's the last one that's this impacting. But there was SARS, and before SARS, there was the pig, the swine flu, and before that, there, you know, I mean, that there, there have been bad flus, and you know, we, I, I think that we'll be more thoughtful around the fact that as we travel and expose ourselves, there's a, there's an implication. Mm -mm. Yeah, I know, you know, from a funny point of view, that people have realized that camping in their backyards a lot easier with kids than it was to actually travel with everything. And that's just a micro example of, I think people are finding that there's a lot of value on, in staying close to home. And I think it's got, got me thinking a lot about why are we always on the move? Like, 
we used to live on the river in Brisbane and amazing, like just so beautiful. And sometimes Nat and I would say to each other, why are we so eager to leave? Everyone's so eager to come to our house and we're eager to leave it. So it's like a mindset and we've been forced to, you know, kind of engage in another kind of mindset and the economy. Um, yeah, that'll be phase two of yeah. what we're, like you said, the, um, the realities of that. And look, there's so many things that, um, that you can speak to, which is, which is so great. And I just really want to appreciate you for your humility, how you can speak so that everybody understands. I think that that makes a big difference actually, because if not, you're just going to be speaking to your cohorts all the time and you guys, you know, you'll be saying one, zero, one, zero, but yeah. Um, and so I really just appreciate you for taking the time. I know it's been a big day for you and there's lots going on, but I think someone like you is really important in the world so that you can explain almost like bridge that gap, you know, between these things. And, um, for some reason, I just want my computer to be close to merge door now. So thank you for that. I'm now jealous. Um, when I don't have good service. So thank you very much. You are now off duty, my friend. I appreciate you. Well, appreciate you having me. Thank you. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.